So, anybody still talking about the trade deadline? Nah, I didn't think so, at least not as much. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning from Tampa, Florida. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll check out. Penguins 5, Lightning 4 in overtime. Two goals from Jason Zucker, two goals from Jeff Petrie, and one goal that's going to take up pretty much the entirety of this opening segment. That, of course, being the sensational rush-up ice by Drew O'Connor. It came 6.59 into the third period. It probably should have been the winning goal if everything had worked out right because it did give the Penguins a 4-3 lead for a little while. Chris Letang did a hard wrap around the boards from the defensive zone. Josh Archibald with a really slick chip to keep it moving further up the boards. And then O'Connor just did all the rest. Uh, Darren Radish, who's a pretty nice defenseman for Tampa Bay, had all of the positioning you could possibly want on O'Connor coming in along the right boards. Could have just pinched him right there, except that O'Connor didn't allow it. He's got something that a lot of other players don't. That's the size. He now combines that with his speed and his strength. And he just blew right by Radish. And then he comes flying in on the best goaltender in the world, Andre Vasilevsky. Remember when I did the show after the Penguins blew the bolts out back home and I was like, don't even pay any attention to this because they did it to Brian Elliott? This wasn't Brian Elliott. O'Connor came storming in there looking a lot like, for those of you who go way back with this hockey team, I thought Kevin Stevens. That's who that looked like to me. Afterward, I asked O'Connor to walk me through the goal, and he was kind enough to do exactly that. Can you walk me through the goal, please? Uh, that's hanging around there. She made a great play on the wall. Um, yeah, perfect, perfect space play there. Um, so I thought I had to step on him, so I tried to take him wide, and uh, just pulled in, chipped it, chipped it back forehand, and fortunately went in. Yeah. It seems like every year you come up where I was asking you questions about you, but you're starting to become a bigger part of this team, and I want to ask you a question about the team, because you feel like this team is getting there. You've been through a lot of last yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it's kind of that time of year where a lot of stuff's going on, but, um, you know, I think we've rattled off a few wins in a row now, and I think there's a pretty positive feeling around the team, so I think we know what we're capable of. Um, I think it's just an exciting time, and I think we're all looking forward to keeping this going here. Hey, good for them, but especially good for him, because this kid can make a difference arguably more than anyone else on the roster. Anytime you do a projection in the sports world, but especially the professional sports world where you're dealing with older athletes, you want to make sure that you're leaving into account the possibility that someone can overperform a, a more rational expectation. I'm going to tell you what I mean here. You have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin on your roster, okay? You have a pretty solid idea of what you've got. So even if they end up being the two best players on your roster, and they have been this season, you're not really exceeding anything. You're not rising above 
a certain level of expectation for the collective. If O'Connor finds a home in the NHL, which he most assuredly has, at least I think so, and he continues to grow right in front of our eyes like this, because it's not just about this goal that he scored here. It's about the overall play that he's shown lately, including two nights earlier in Nashville. He's feeling confident. He's talking about it openly and way more important than either of those. He's getting it done out there on the rink. He's showing everyone what he's got. And to put the puck in the net on top of all that, I ran this one past Archibald, his line mate who sprung him. Yeah, that was real nice. Uh, he's been working hard, obviously, since he's been here to see him get rewarded like that. He's had a few chances like that uh, the past couple of games, and I think we've kind of been giving him a hard time, you know, maybe put one in one of these times. So, uh, you know, that's just uh, one of those plays we got off the draw, you know, weak side high, high release, and we knew they were taking the, the walls away hard, so I just tried to get that to the middle to him, and, you know, he made a great play, great effort. And, uh, that's a good defenseman, so will be able to get around him and, you know, scoring a goalie like that of that caliber too. It was a huge play for him. See, I'm glad you got to hear that from him because that's the way people inside the Penguins world talk about O'Connor. They don't see him as some bottom six grinder. They see him, and I'm talking about now in the actual locker room, meaning players. They see him as someone who has all of the capabilities to do exactly what everyone just saw him do. Because they see it in practice. They have to try to contain him themselves in practice. And when he gets the wheels going, the way he did on that sequence and the way he's done an awful lot of late in general, they don't have an answer for him. So they're very sure that the opponent, which isn't prepared to face him, probably doesn't even know who he is, won't be able to stop him either. Look, we can all talk about the deadline and Mikhail Granlund and the salary cap and everything else. And I gave my spiel on it on yesterday's show. I stand behind every syllable of it. I feel that it's a bad trade. I also feel that it's a good player. And I also feel that those concepts can, in fact, run concurrently. You can overpay for a good player. And that's what Ron Hextall did, grossly so. But Granlund showed pretty well. I thought in this game, he seemed to bring out the best in Jeff Carter, which I definitely didn't see coming. And in general, this was a really, really nice two points for this group, but nowhere near as nice as seeing this kid rise up because this, this can be way more pivotal than anyone they'd add at the deadline. When we come back, J1Q. comes from Dan Patterson, who says, I've never been one to think I know more than the front office and the coaching staff, so I don't jump on the fire Hextall bandwagon like so many. But what about this thought? How many years have the Penguins brought in big-name players who didn't pan out for the playoffs? Could it be that this team only needs a couple tweaks in order to maximize its talent and success? I'm thinking, after 
watching this overtime victory that that might be the case. Dan, trades are, in general, overblown. And and I understand that. I understand that they've actually become kind of a, a commodity or a market unto themselves, meaning for the public. When you look at the 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 drama, the hysterics that accompany the deadline, uh, when a player gets moved, even if they're really a lot older and a lot less effective than they used to be, like, for example, Patrick Kane, people just go berserk over it. Whoa, Patrick Kane to the garden, to the big show, as if Chicago is not also a big city. And it, it's uh, it, the NHL is actually among the last to this particular party. It's it's something that the Major League Baseball and the NBA have really milked beautifully to their end, especially the NBA, really, with only five guys of matter on every team. And you're right that if you go over the history of this franchise alone. Yes, there were the mega trades that Craig Patrick made that led to each of the first two Stanley Cup championships. Those are what put Craig in the Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. And those, I think, are what still fuels Pittsburgh's passion for a mega, mega, mega something at the deadline. Now, never mind that in 2016... What the Penguins picked up, Jim Rutherford, Mr. Trader, got Justin Schultz, which interested almost nobody at the time. And please don't tell me you were the one who thought, oh, yeah, this is this is a big move for this team. Well, it turned out to be a really big one because the following year when Chris Letang was hurt, it was Schultz who stepped up as the de facto number one defenseman for yet another championship run. The big trade acquisition at the deadline that year, if memory serves, was Ron Hainsey. Does that sound right? Am I missing anybody there? Just winging this off the top of my head here, so I'm not 100% sure. But that championship wasn't fueled by anything at the deadline. And as you note, there have been a whole bunch of Jerome Aginla, Patrick Marlowe, and in a positive sense, Jeff Carter-type trades that have come along. And I say positive because... Carter arrived in Pittsburgh like a house ablaze. He was the Penguins' best actual player in the playoffs against the Islanders. But here I go again with bad trade, good player. You don't take on a $5 million cap hit for a 31-year-old player this year plus the two following years and lock yourself into the same position you were stuck in for several months leading up to it. That makes no sense. That's just no planning at all. There's no concept of, hey, I've got to sign Tristan Jari after this season. I've got to sign Jason Zucker after this season. It's just, oh, here's a player I think's a pretty nice player. I'm going to add him. Five million? Oh, I've got five million. Here's five million. That's a bad trade. That's not Granlund's fault. That shouldn't reflect at all on Granlund in any way, shape, or form. If you're watching him and thinking about him as it's related to a, a bad trade, that's the most unfair thing of all in this whole scenario. 
And on top of that, to your other point, no, this team didn't just need a tweak, Dan, uh, respectfully. Uh, This team needed to remove a lot of players who weren't performing. That did happen. But it then needed to use those assets and that cap space to bring something back to further address other issues, such as the lack of mobility on the blue line, such as the lack of a backup goaltender, such as the lack of a grinding physical type presence among your bottom six forwards. This didn't need to just be discarded. He didn't need Hextall to just move everybody out who needed to be moved out and then not bring anywhere near enough back. Again, not a reflection on Granlund. Granlund could have been a nice part of this. Still might be. But, man. <laughs> don't don't just look at the W and say everything's okay. And at the same time, if they had lost, you should have just looked at the L and said, it's the end of the world. This was a bad trade. This was a good player. There's more time today. I feel like they're still going to be searching. In fact, I've heard they're still going to be searching for that physical presence on the bottom six, leading right up to the 3 p.m. trade deadline. So it'll still be interesting. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these on Monday. 